0: Welcome to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers. Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Here's your host, Laura Turner.
1: Hello and welcome to another special edition of Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. I'm Laura Turner. Our guest tonight may very well have been a part of the soundtrack to your life. His career in the Australian music industry has spanned nearly 50 years and he's revered as one of the country's finest songwriters, responsible for iconic songs such as Girls on the Avenue, Lucky Country and Glory Road. And while you might think he's been there and done just about everything over the decades... The artist, lovingly labelled as Australia's favourite hippie, has just notched up another career first, recording his first ever album of cover songs. It is my pleasure to welcome Richard Clapton to Great Australian Lives. How are you, Richard?
0: Hey, Laura, how are you? Yeah,
1: very well. Nearly 50 years in the industry and this is your first album of covers. That's a long time coming.
0: Uh, it is, but the raison d'etre for this album is that Terry Blamey, who is was to be known, manager for most of her group, or I think all of her career. Yeah. 30 years um, or something, wasn't it? Befriended me. Yes, befriended me um, in recent times and I went to San Francisco. I had a gig in San Francisco and I hung around for, for a few weeks and I was hanging around Haight-Ashbury, which is my promised land. That's my, you know, I was doing the pilgrimage, the hippie <laughs> pilgrimage. Um, came back here and had a night with Terry and, and obviously Terry had a pretty strong relationship with late, great Michael Dins- Gadinsky. And anyway, this night, Terry said, I know, let's do an album of hippie anthems. And at first, I was kind of reticent to jump at this idea because, um, as you correctly pointed out, I've never done covers. I didn't know what I, how I'd go with singing other people's songs. I warmed to the idea. Terry took it to Gadinsky. I don't think Gidenski was all that convinced first because Terry had a policy of, holding the music back until such time as Terry and I were happy enough with it, you know, to present to a record company. So yeah. Gdansky spent um, a long time not actually hearing it.
1: But right. when he
0: heard it, he was won over.
1: Your relationship with Terry, I know you say it really warmed over the um, creation of this album, but you actually met him back in the 70s, didn't you? There was a relationship very early on.
0: Yeah, but the funny thing there is I don't really remember it. <laughs> Terry said he used to be my agent. Right. Um, yeah. But probably more importantly, uh, Terry also said he'd been a fan of mine since Crush and Blue, which is my first album in 1973. When he first had Kylie, they immediately moved to London and had been been there for like 35 years or so. So that's why I never saw much of Terry. But when he and Kylie parted ways, as I said, he started coming to my gigs and that's where this idea was born for me to do uh, my first album covers.
1: He brings um, a pretty good calibre to this project, doesn't he?
0: Well, yes, also because his um, amazing encyclopedic knowledge of Mm. music. He actually Mm. knows more about music or music history than I do. I always thought the Youngbloods had written uh, Get Together, but Terry Blamey pointed out, no, it wasn't the Youngbloods, it was two other guys that I haven't heard of that wrote it. So in his liner notes, don't you love liner notes? How long... (laughs) How <laughs> long since you've seen Liner Notes? Yeah. I don't know they've yeah. been here that for about twenty years. So yeah, he's like Perry's liner notes fantastic.
1: And it's funny you say that about, you know, him pointing out um the original artists of covers. It was just on, and this is embarrassing, but it was only the other day that I learnt that Johnny Cash didn't write the song Hurt. It was actually Nine Inch Nails. Do you uh, um and I'm sure you would have known that a long, you know, for a long time, but me being, you know, not, not uh Amuso. Mm. <laughs> I've always loved yeah. that song but never realised it wasn't his. And we, we find that a lot with covers, don't we?
0: Yeah, I mean there's two ways of looking at it. Like we prefer to think of this album we've done as a homage rather than a covers album. Right. And in fact we we, we culled it down, we curated it for about two years, culled it down to a very sharp focus, which is pretty much Laurel Canyon from nineteen sixty six to nineteen seventy. Then there's another way of looking at covers, which is a total reworking. As mm-hmm. you said, Johnny Cash's Reworking of "Hurt" is probably one of the best examples we can think of. Yeah. But then you've got The Birds doing Mr Tambourine Man and the band, you know, doing Tears of Rage and other Dylan songs. And some reworkings are not just valid, they're fantastic. And mm-hmm. sometimes can be better than the originals then again there's a lot of other reworkings which really suck
1: (laughs) (laughs) well I remember reading Nine Inch Nails when when he asked them and said can I do my own version of Hurt and they said yeah absolutely and then they heard it and went oh how embarrassing he's he's just blown us out of the water it's the most incredible uh, cover of their song do you feel as you're doing covers you know a, a sort of a pressure to do it in a certain way, or do you just take it on as your own?
0: Look, a lot of these songs, in fact, nearly all of them, are in my DNA. So, no, it wasn't all that challenging for me to sing them. There are a couple on there, like Woodstock was, was a tough one for me, but it's just the rest of the band Rex, they loved it. So, you know, I wasn't all that convinced. But in the main, no, it was, it was fairly natural for me to sing these songs.
1: And and you've called them um, anti-establishment, counterculture songs, which which are your type of song anyway, so they're going to feel yes. pretty natural for you.
0: Yeah. Another thing that was in the back of our minds, we started this project during the four years of Trump and we were influenced in our, in our decision-making because of Southern Man and For What It's Worth uh, and the overt political songs that are on this album and... and kind of hoping that young kids nowadays might hear some of these hippie anthems and, and realise that, that the hippie anthems are all part of that colossal movement mm. that got rid of Nixon and, and, you know, ended the Vietnam War. And it, it took, uh, you know, it, it was colossal. We had yeah. to move the earth, you know, yeah. otherwise never would have got rid of Nixon. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it has not totally coincided. We're a bit late for Trump we thank God for that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you don't have to worry about that now anyway, at least for a little while. (laughs) So how did you go about, I mean, I'm sure you had a lot of songs you wanted to put on um, Music Is Love. How did you cull them? Was it a painful process?
0: Yeah, it was because um, Cherry has a long history in London, as do I. And so the strange thing was, even though I am an original hippie, I'm actually an original English hippie because I was in London in the late '60s for all the late '60s, mm-hmm. and obviously was going out seeing English bands um, every weekend, and some of you know. So I've seen some of the most amazing gigs uh, ever in the history of rock and roll. Okay. However, when, uh, as has as Terry, but then when it when we started creating lists, I'd have stuff like um, uh, Street Fighting Man or et cetera on there. And then then we realised w- there was such a temptation. I mean, a kink song, I don't know, Waterloo Sunset, you know, songs like that. Then we realised if we cast our net too wide, it, there was a danger it would sound just like a, 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 an album of covers, of cover yeah. versions. Yeah. So we started... We started to look for, as I said, a raison d'être, which is, you know, why we're doing this, and we needed people to understand why we were doing it. So we had to narrow the focus, just like you would have, you know, a follow spot on on yeah. a stage, you know, yep. into a very narrow focus. So it really is, it's come down to pretty much all Laurel Canyon, 1966 to 1970.
1: This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And as we head to the break, we're going to play a song from Richard's new album, Music is Love. The first single is a rendition of Summer in the City. Now, Richard, the song was originally recorded by the Love and Spoonful in 1966, um, written about an unprecedented heat wave in New York. Why that song? And and was it hard to recreate?
0: It was Indescribable. I was about to use a bad word. To <laughs> to it. Honestly, it's a thousand words in three minutes. Got God. no idea. It's on there because it's a masterpiece. Um, also, I learned from Terry that we all think Love and Spoonful were from New York. In reality, they weren't because they got busted for, for having pot. So they had to migrate <laughs> over to the West Coast and became yeah. part of that West Coast Seen. Yep. Laurel Canyon was this. If you've seen Echoes of the Canyon, it was this mm-hmm. whole community, all living in the same area. It wasn't just Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young because you know you had the monkeys and you had the turtles and all these pop bands as well. Yep. I think the Beach Boys—they were yep. all there. You know, we followed the hippie bands yep. rather than rather than me, me trying to say, "Hey, hey, we're the monkeys?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we're the monkeys? So, ah. <laughs>
1: Let's hear a bit of Summer in the City now on Great Australian Live. Yep.
0: Hot town, summer in the city. Back on my neck, getting dirty and witty. Been down, it's little bitty. Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around people looking happy. Walking on the sidewalk, I do match it. But a night is a different world. Go out and find a girl. Come on, come on, and dance all night. Despite the heat of the all. But you know it's a pity the days don't seem like the nights in the summer in the city in the summer in the city cool town summer in the city dressed so fine and looking so pretty cool cat looking for a kitty gonna look in every corner of the city Feel I'm wheezing like a bus stop burn upstairs gonna meet you on the rooftop but night is a different world. go out and find a girl come on come on and dance all night be all right in vain. Don't you know it's a pity the day can't be like the nights in the summer, in the city, in the summer, in the city? You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers' funeral celebrating lives. For more information, visit Tobinbrothers.com.au. Our guest tonight is Richard Clapton, Australian Music Royalty. And his new album, Music Is Love, 1966 to 70, is out now. It's a collection of covers that pay tribute to some of the artists who influenced his own music, including The Birds, David Crosby, Neil Young, and Buffalo Springfield. Now I want to talk to you, Richard, about your early years. Um, I have listened to interviews talking about your childhood, it was pretty tumultuous, wasn't it? And really reached a peak of trauma when you were ten.
0: Um, yeah, which is why I, I don't really talk about it much because it, it, it was. There's very few people that really know about my childhood, and mm. they're very sympathetic because you could describe it as being really quite tragic. But you know, it was long ago, and I try to look. I try to look at everything positively and, and yeah. I think without me going through that hardship as a child I wouldn't have become a songwriter because you know as I say no pain no gain sort of thing <laughs> so yeah yeah We won't go into
1: great detail, but as you mentioned, it has shaped you as a person. And I know you were a boy who ended up, let's say your mum passed away when you were 10 and and, and your dad Mm. came into your life and put you into boarding school. But you weren't comfortable with the structure uh, and the expectations and the pressure put on you, were you? You wanted to be involved in music, and in the end, let's start from when you decided, I'm not going to do the maths exam, I'm going to London. And you actually went out that day and bought a Rolling Stones album, I believe.
0: Uh, yes, and, and, <laughs> and really, yes, got punished for that. <laughs> Quite simply, my father's side of the family are all academics and they're all in medicine, and so I was really the black sheep. My mother, who passed away, um, I mean, she was actually the night sister at Sydney Hospital, mm. but nevertheless, she always wanted to be an artist. And that's mm. where the ar- arty side of my life right. comes into it. Um, also, because my housemaster at school w- was, for uh, my entire time, was Richard Werrick. If you, you and the listeners are aware of Richard Werrick, who Richard it was, Richard was probably the most legendary theatrical director, I think. But mm. he spent five years of his life teaching Fortunately for me, and, and um, all of the literary knowledge that I have all came from him, right. and and it was very advanced, and he was a hard taskmaster who sent me impossible assignments because I was apparently too cheeky, and also I wouldn't get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> um, How'd that but, go
1: down at boarding school? I
0: mean, <laughs> uh, you got cane for it. Right. You, know, you only got one afternoon out of work uh, a month, which is a Sunday afternoon. And I keep coming back still not having a haircut. But, no, I mean, look, <laughs> when I was a young kid, I mean, where it was getting me into John Paul Sartre and Thomas yep. Mann and yep. Kafka. And he
1: real savvy. Really
0: heavy literature. Yeah. I think that, you know, pro- probably the trauma of my early childhood, all that literature instilled into me mm. on, a, on a pretty much a daily basis. That's really where my songwriting came from.
1: And you ended up in London, as has been well documented. How did you find your musical feet there? I know there was a time where you were sort of hitchhiking and all over the place, and it must have been hard, you know, to cut your teeth.
0: If you've read my book, the first chapter is about me meeting the Rolling Stones before I'd left Sydney and when I was a kid. And I originally had designs on wood uh, designs, Funny I picked that word. I wanted to be a fashion illustrator, which oh. nowadays doesn't mean much. A fashion illustrator back in those days, you know, wasn't fashion photography. Like, there were fashion magazines and, and just marvellous artists did you know, illustrations in, in fashion magazines, and that's what I wanted to do. So to connect the dots, then I spent a whole afternoon with Keith Rich when I was still a kid. Oh, wow. And Keith had wanted to be a, an artist himself and gave me really good advice that afternoon that I spent with him. And he advised me to go to St Martins in the field in London because it's the best art school, probably one of the best in the world. Mm. And I followed that, that advice. And so when I first got to London, that was really what I was going to do with my life was be um, a passionate illustrator and a graphic designer. Then I kind of had this epiphany, which came from Bob Dylan. I just decided I want to be that guy. <laughs> I really want to be that guy. And I, I, I honestly, and I, I got to the point where I, I think within two years, I've become the highest paid young graphic designer in London. I was really, I don't know, only about 18 or something. But by that time, I'd met some um, English guys who were into music. And, and I really started Richard Clapton Bands from day one. And we started playing around London. And then I ended up in Berlin after that with a German band, and um, I did quite a lot before I came back to Australia. How
1: aware of you at that time were you of, you know, the revolution that was going on in the US? And were you tempted to go to San Fran, like hundreds of thousands of other hippies, and join the movement over there?
0: No, because that was a burgeoning movement, especially in London. There was a lot of protests. Like Street Fighting Man and, you know, the British bands were also very revolutionary. It was just that... Musically, I had leant more towards Californian music, and I had this one album, Nearly Young's After the Gold Rush, which I I just listened to over and over and over again. That that number of Bob Dylan albums, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in as much as I loved British rock, and I suppose I was out playing British rock, and then after that playing Kraut rock, being German rock, by the time I got back to Australia, I was still very much into the. Neil young James Taylor Bob Dylan into that sort of genre so doing this album has been weird because I was an English hippie not a Californian hippie and yet it, it's this the, the songs on the hippie album that are kind of my DNA that, that, that's the music that I come from
1: yeah it certainly is now going back to your those early years I know you ended up back in Australia and, and you signed um, with festival records there, there's a lot of pressure put on to you to produce A a radio hit And and I know that was sort of an uncomfortable situation For you to be in You didn't like that kind of pressure But you did produce uh, (laughs) Girls on the Avenue Which we'll play in a minute That was rejected six times, that song But you you must have had a lot of faith in it
0: (laughs) Well, quite honestly It was my flatmate Who was the A&R guy um, At Festival Records Who had more faith in it than I did Right I resigned from it So what happened is my first album, Prussian Blue, it's called Prussian Blue because it was mainly written before I left Germany. I hence the name Prussia, mm. old Prussian. And Prussian Blue I did here in 1973, and it got really great critical acclaim, especially magazines like Rolling Stone and you know some of the cool magazine, Go Set and stuff. that were around, and, and the Daily, the Sydney Morning Herald, etc. However, sadly, it didn't sell. So the record company gave me a sort of ultimatum that I either came up with a radio friendly hit single or they would drop me from the label. And I was sharing a, a, a flat in Rose Bay in Sydney with this guy, Colin. And he was so passionate about Girls in the Avenue because the Avenue is in Rose Bay in Sydney. Um, we live in Next Street along Challier Avenue. It's an urban myth. It's about caucus. It's actually about oh. a house of pretty girls that lived on the avenue in Rose oh. Bay, which meant even more to Colin, because um, I think we're both obsessed with these girls at the time. They contact me. They want to write a book. The girls are really? still there. The girls on the avenue. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> so there you go. It was actually my flatmate, Colin, that, that went to war against Festival Records, because oh. they kept rejecting him They kept saying, the song makes no sense. What's the chorus? Uh. Don't you slip. Or yep. is it Friday Girls night, or what is it? Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't like it. I've actually got a copy of it in storage with a big B for B-side, yeah. the throwaway side. Yeah. Um, and I still got one of those. But yeah, then Colin on. was the first music prog- programmer for Double J. So as soon as he got on, on the radio, two of his pet songs that Vessel rejected were um, Cocaine by J.J. Kale and Girls in the Avenue. Wow. And... Colin just got on. That was me being on the good side of corruption because Colin was just programming (laughs) girls on the avenue once down the hour, every hour. The commercial songs started hearing this, picked it up, and before you knew it, there it was, top of the charts.
1: Speaking of that, let's hear it now, taking us back to 1975.
0: Girls on the... Yeah
1: Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers funeral Celebrating Lives. Our guest tonight is Richard Clapton, singer, songwriter and producer. Now, uh, Richard, along with releasing your own music for decades, you had the opportunity to work with some incredible artists, including In Excess. You'd have to be living on a rock if you didn't know who they were, especially in Australia. That must have been an amazing time. I know you put a, a, about a year of your life into that, didn't you?
0: Probably a couple of years, actually. Yeah. The way that happened was, was I was continually returning to Berlin and it became a second home. Mm. I came back from Berlin. I've been gone for a long time, almost a year, I think. I got home and I was jet-lagged and exhausted. And Chris Murphy, their manager who recently passed away, phoned me up and wanted me to come and see band. It was a new wave band. And they were going on at a pub in Sydney called the Paddington Green Hotel. Mm. And they weren't going on until 1am. Mm. Bands used to play that late in those yeah. days. And it sounded to me like a hairdresser, and like a flock of seagulls or something. All I knew <laughs> was they were into haircuts and, you know, yeah. dressing yep. up and stuff like that. And he almost had to drag me down there and go, oh, man. We get to the Panguine Hotel and truly there was nine local drunks. <laughs> and they were there after midnight because the only place I could They knew all drink. the
1: bands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, just nine local drunks. Chris yeah. Murphy and me. And that's wow. all that were there. Yeah. And this band came out on stage, band of young guys, and just blew me away. And, and yeah. I'd already been a, a, a professional about 12 years at this stage. I was like, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Most seasoned professionals would be going, oh, Jesus, no one here. You know, short set's good set. Let's just yeah. do a couple of songs and, yeah. and pack it in. They yeah. played with this passion and panache like I couldn't believe. And I've said in interviews over the years, I saw them about 25 years later in La Bercy in, in Paris. So 25,000 screaming French kids. They were just the same band as I'd seen in the pub. Anyway, look, getting back to the padding in green, they came off, did a blistering set, and Michael's on fire that night. I don't know, we just hit it off. What we had in common, believe it or not, was Steely Dan. They loved Steely Dan, so did I. We clicked immediately. Johnny, in excess drummer, was 17, Johnny and I are still best friends. Johnny and I have been like big brother and little brother for 42 years now, believe it or not. I don't know. Life's going wow. to the speed of, speed of light. On with the story. So they want to do a cover of, speaking of covers, of The Loved One by, by The Loved Ones, yeah. you know, the really old Aussie standard. And I said, sure, because I was getting on so well with them. We went and we, we recorded The Loved One as just a single, Mm-hmm. And I thought it would just be a one-off. But it went top 10. We hit it off immediately. And I produced my own album, Dark Spaces, which comes after um, Goodbye Tiger and um, mm-hmm. the album I did in L.A., House of the Nightline. And they really liked the sound of Dark Spaces. So they asked me to do their album. i probably spent two years on in excess because I did about a year's worth of pre-production. It was fascinating for me because I'd been... In my own little world just being a, a solo songwriter and by this stage i was you know my musical library had expanded from bob dylan neil young into jackson brown and you know all the great songwriters of Joni mitchell and that's mm. that's where my head was at but a pre-production within excess michael would be like extreme left to center so he'd be into my life in the, in the bush of ghosts by bernanino and all kind of pretty weird out their stuff, and then uh, at the right end of the spectrum, you'd get, I think Kirk was into Roxy Music, and right. I think it was Avalon or something yeah. at that stage. So you had this whole spectrum of six of them. I just found it was fantastic. i worked with them for so long because I just wanted all, all six of them to be happy. Mm. So what I was attempting to do, and it seems like I must have pulled it off, was make this amalgam of all their musical tastes. And that was going to be the sound and, and that was going to be the nature of, of their second album. Yeah. And and, um, and we've been friends ever since.
1: What a story and, and, what, and what a four decades I'm sure you've had as best friends. Uh, before we go to the break, I want to talk to you about another track from Music Is Love, which is your new album for those just tuning in, Riders on the Storm. This, selfishly, this is a song that is, has a really special place in my heart. It was my late sister's favourite song. So I want to hear from you why that song, that is a, and, incredible piece of music and a lot to take on
0: uh, it is now getting back to terry blamey that was terry's idea to do writers on storm i was kind of reticent to dive into that song because mm. as you say it's in many ways it's kind of a masterpiece and it's yes. a lot to take on But Clayton Dolly, who plays keyboards on this, just nailed it. I think we only did a couple of tapes of that. See, originally I I thought to myself, well, for a start, it's been done to death. But when I Googled it, it actually hasn't been done to death. In fact, I don't think anybody's done it, covered it, (laughs) I mean. No, I was amazed because that was one of the reasons I I did not want to do it because I thought, oh, you know, everyone's covered this. And if they haven't. The colour of the players that I've used on this album... I mean, for me, this is my band of brothers. For me, they're just the best musicians Mm -hmm. probably ever, I think, in Mm -hmm. Australia's history. It's just incredible that they could actually form Riders on the Storm like they have. And so I I was won over and I just thought, wow, okay, we'll Um, go with that one.
1: I cannot wait to hear it myself. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Our guest is Richard Clapton and here is his version of Riders on the Storm for his new album, Music is Love. You Qu- square <laughs> Back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Tobin Brothers now offer fully live streamed services so that anyone who could not attend the funeral of a loved one can still view the service and participate. For more information, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Our guest tonight is singer, songwriter, and producer Richard Clapton, who's just released a new album, Music is Love, available online and in store now. Now, you've returned to Mushroom Group to release this album, Richard. You're first with them since Solidarity. You mentioned before Michael Gudinski and his recent passing. Did that hit you hard?
0: That hit me very hard, although I would think my sympathies really went out to his staff and probably Melbourne as well. he was very Melbourne-oriented and I'm a Sydney boy. Um, mm-hmm. even though i spent half my life in Melbourne. To keep it short and sharp, I think Gudinski was a bit dubious about this album, at first it was Terry that coerced Gudinski into funding it, and Terry he didn't play Gudinski anything for months, and I think Gudinski got quite agitated. Going, you know, <laughs> i have spending all this money and I haven't heard anything yet. When Gudinski <laughs> finally heard it, he warmed to it quite quickly, right. to the point where then he got quite obsessive about it, and mm. he started phoning me at all hours of day and night. So Gudinski got into the habit of, of just calling me randomly. Um, <laughs> what is so surreal for me is that about four nights before he passed, you probably heard, he never said hello or goodbye. You know, it was just, it was like quarter past 11 at night. and I used to get quite annoyed with him, phoning me up at any time he felt like it. He goes, so how's the hair going? growing, okay. Yeah, well, you know, he wanted it as long as it was in the 70s. And what what shirt are you going to wear in this video? So I don't know, I'm trying to sleep. He goes, well, I better be... Hippie. Oh, sorry. Oh, gross. <laughs> didn't cut that out. <laughs> that better be Hippie. And he said, what have you got? And I said, Hippie. I wanted to say, oh, I'd like one of your tie dyes from the early 70s, Michael. How about that? <laughs> I said, oh, I've got a gate go to the dead shirt. Yeah, all right, that'll do. And then it's just click. No goodbye or anything like that. And then four, four mornings later, I'm getting phone calls early in the morning and say, Michael Kudinsky passed away. And I said, you can't have it. I was only just talking to, just to him. talking, yeah. And so for me, it was really, really surreal. Yeah. Um, but as I said, I, I think for his staff at Mushroom and the people of Melbourne, I think it goes beyond sad. Such like a big black hole for you guys, and, you know. And all this, but, but as I said, I, I'm Sydney, and and he was very. I mean, as you know. He loved Melton so much and <laughs> he was pretty biased towards Melbourne, I gotta tell you.
1: <laughs> well, actually we actually just recently had him on this show and it was a great honour and and privilege to to spend, you know, uh uh, a fair amount of time with him talking about his life and his career. So I feel very honoured to have, have had that chat with him. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you more so. Um, for those listening who are big fans of you, Richard Clapton, the collectors, you'd better be quick because your new album, music, music is Love, will be pressed on limited edition transparent yellow vinyl. Pretty good to be releasing vinyl in 2021.
0: Well, I haven't had vinyl um, for years. For decades, yellow vinyl, transparent yellow vinyl. I've only got one. I think grab them soon because I think they're going like hotcakes. It's probably probably not the music. It's probably the yellow yellow vinyl. I (laughs) don't know.
1: And Richard Clapton, thank you so much for being our guest tonight. It has been a pleasure and an honour to speak to you. Thank you so much. Really excited about the new album, of course. As I mentioned, Music is Love. There's 1966 and 1970 available everywhere, including on Spotify, JB Hi-Fi. If you've enjoyed our chat with Richard Clapton, you can share it with a friend on the Great Australian Lives podcast. And join me the same time next week when we celebrate another Great Australian Live.
0: You're listening to Great Australian Lives with, with Laura Turner. Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives.